everyone. Welcome back to Who's There. I'm your host, Allison. If you're new here, thank you for joining us. This is a podcast where I talk to a new horror fan every week because I hope to destigmatize what it means to be a horror movie fan. Because most of us are just regular people who like the adrenaline rush of being scared for some reason. And here we delve into those reasons. It's October, and I know Women in Horror Month is technically in February, but I'm using October to celebrate the badass female creators in horror that I've had the chance to interview. And we're kicking things off with Chris Rojas from a podcast you're probably already familiar with, Hack or Slash. It's one of my favorites. We talked at length about how horror is for everyone, the remakes of Halloween and Black Christmas, and she debunks the popular theory that Michael Myers and Jason Voorhees are the same people. She really, she did a good job there. She also has a pretty interesting idea for a dream remake of The Birds, which you'll want to stick around to hear. One last thing before we get into this episode, if you love the show and haven't left us a review on iTunes yet, I'd be so grateful if you could take a second to rate and review review us over there and subscribe to our feed wherever you listen to us. Thank you to everyone who's already left us a review. It's so appreciated and it really helps people find us. I hope you like this episode. I know you will. So let's get into this episode with Chris Rojas. Hey, Chris, how are you? Super swell. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for being here. Of course. Um, do you want to tell everyone a little bit about yourself, where you're from, et cetera, to start? Yeah, sure. So I am originally from Miami, Florida, but I've lived around the U.S. Uh, over time. I'm in my 30s now. And I was in the Navy for a little while, so that was a fun adventure. I'm based out of Miami, Florida, though, and I'm a huge horror fan. I actually run a horror movie review podcast. That's been a passion project of mine since about 2017. Uh Aside from that, I'm like a digital content creator. I've had a background in like multimedia production, journalism, et cetera, and uh, trying my hand to podcasting now. Awesome. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Hackerslash. So we are going to get into that a little bit later. But first things first, what's your favorite scary movie? Halloween 1978, undoubtedly. And it is tied right up there with Black Christmas 1974 because it's like the two go hand in hand. All right. Awesome. I have to ask, what are your feelings on Halloween 2018 and Black Christmas 2006 and 2019? Ooh, okay. So Black Christmas is going to come up maybe a few times tonight. We'll see. I have some feelings about it. But Halloween 2018, absolutely loved it. It was such a magical experience being back in theaters for that and just seeing it all come back full circle. Uh, 2006 Black Christmas, absolutely hated it. It was such a disappointment, much like the 2007 Halloween. The early 2000s, honestly, were not a great time for me and horror remakes to get along. But the 2019 Black Christmas, I am am very passionate about and uh, actually stand quite a bit. Oh, that makes me so happy to hear. I thought I was like one of the only people that liked the 2019 Black Christmas, too. Mm -mm, Nope. It was actually one of my favorite movies of 2019. Yeah, no, I really, I liked it. I have seen the original, not the 2006 version, but I really liked the 2019 one. Oh, absolutely. It captured the spirit. Uh, I could go on about it, but I'm sure we'll get there at some point. But okay. everybody dogs 2019 and it doesn't, it doesn't deserve the hate. Yeah, it's very relevant. Uh, so how did you first fall in love with the horror genre? Well, when I was but a wee one, my first movie I ever watched, well, the first one I have memories of was Children of the Corn. <clears throat> so I'm actually the youngest of five kids and as like a family bonding situation my older siblings and I would all watch horror movies together like every day like clockwork you know I have fond memories of like watching Halloween the 1998 mini- miniseries Children of the Corn The Shining etc and I even have the memory of watching the Amityville Horror and then you know the next day just like riding my bike in the driveway of my house crying because I was like, am I going to get possessed and I'm going to kill my whole family? It was just such a scary, vulnerable time. But I think it was just those early roots, right? It was a time for no matter how different my siblings and I are, we all came together around the table about horror movies and it was just such a blast. Oh, that's awesome. So it was a family affair. Oh, absolutely. And then when I, I was actually one of the only ones in my family to leave home at 18. And when I was gone, I I was away for like 11 years. And I would watch horror movies all the time as like a blanket, right? It's like a sense of comfort. <laughs> and we keep in touch. We talk about Halloween Horror Nights over in Orlando. We keep in touch about the latest horror movies. So it's always been like the, the tie that binds us over the years and over the zip codes. Nice. Were you, um, are you planning to go to Halloween Horror Nights this year? Oh, I want to so much, but I don't know if I'm brave enough. Uh, not, 
not for the spooks of it by any means, but I, uh, yeah, I, I take care of uh, one of my parents and she's just not in the greatest health. So I just, you know, want to be extra cautious, but believe me, as soon as things are more manageable, I'm absolutely in there. I used to go regularly with my family. The last time I went, they actually had a Halloween two house, which is such a blast. And I just remember walking through that house, just like in awe, holding up traffic, looking around, <laughs> looking at Lori, looking at the nurses, waiting for Michael to pop out. It was amazing. That's cool. I have, I have a friend who went last weekend with his family um, and they had actually never watched the haunting of Hill house, the TV series that Mike Flanagan did. Um, so they, they watched it all in like five days before they went and they said, they said it was pretty cool. Oh my gosh. The haunting of Hill house, just such an emotional toll on my soul. Again, the youngest of five, right? Anything with siblings and anything with moms fucks me up. Oh, I know. I know. Uh, he watched the first episode and we're like, it doesn't get better. Like just Mm-mm. buckle in. Now, when you realize who the bent neck lady is, bent my heart right into two. Yeah. I've been feeling like I need to rewatch that soon, but I don't, I don't know if I have it in me. And now Midnight Mass is coming out tomorrow. So honestly, guard your heart. Don't put yourself through that pain again. You've you've gone through it. It's fine. (laughs) I don't have anything to prove to anyone. So why do you think that people who seem perfectly sane love the horror genre? You know, it's funny. That's a question that I get varying levels of regularly. One of the things about me, I'm just, I'm very passionate about horror, right? So I recently got promoted and started working in a new location for my company. And I put it in my bio, a horror movie podcast, love horror movie. Let's talk about it. And then people are always like, but why? Right. And I think the, the really big answer there is that horror actually is for everyone. Right. And that's some of the stuff that like caused me to even start my own show in the first place. But horror is like this wonderful opportunity of intersectionality. And it really gives you the option to have a broad umbrella for so many different styles and flavors of, of other types of filmmaking. So I think the, the it's, it's not even, I don't know if it's, it's a fair question in life that society poses, because it's like, what is the, what is the expectation that insane people watch horror? You know what I mean? Yeah. To imply that uh, you're, you lack sanity for watching horror movies. I don't know. I think people just haven't seen the right kind of horror yet. Yeah, I love I love when you say uh, horror is for everyone uh, during your podcast. Uh, I definitely I definitely agree. I feel like people who say they don't like horror just haven't found the subgenre that they can that they like or can relate to. Exactly, yet. and I think it's a really interesting like opportunity for representation and again intersectionality, right? So like, I think the kind of person who says, "Yo, you gotta watch the Texas Chainsaw Massacre," and that person doesn't like it. And you kind of put them off if you make them think that that's all horror is, right? Or the same thing for The Exorcist. If someone is really like, I can't do demons, I can't do, I can't do religious stuff. And then you kind of paint that picture that it's all horror has to offer. I mean, there are so many emotions that I feel during horror movies that have nothing to do with the fear. It has nothing to do with you know, the, the man in the mask with a knife or anything like that. It's more about like the deeply rooted issues that horror represents. So I think people are insane if they don't like horror. Well, they said it. No big uh, deal. Hot take. I love it. I love it. <laughs> On that note, what is your favorite subgenre in horror? Actually, I know, I know what your favorite is because you are known as the slasher enthusiast on Hacker Slash. So why this is that is your true. favorite? <laughs> okay. So check me out. <clears throat> I know I shared a bit ago that I had this like subconscious fear that I was going to get possessed and kill my whole family with the Amityville horror. Right. And I think the lo- the older I've grown, I've lost a lot of like the spirituality. I think that, you know, I think going to church as a child kind of embodies in you and things of that nature. Won't go too far down that rabbit hole, but I think I realized, right. That of all the things that I was afraid of when I was a child, it was like this big mysterious world. Like what is, what is this big, scary, supernatural thing that could happen, right? Is the boogeyman going to gonna pop out and it's just some indestructible person? But I think I've realized over time that really hell is other people sometimes. And there's something about slashers that provide just the right amount of someone could break into your home and stalk you and your friends. Someone could do these things with the added whimsy of, but they're not going to get shot six times and still survive. Or 
you're not going to be able to drown them in a lake and they're not going to come back. Right. So it's like this perfect balance of being almost real enough, kind of, but not weighing you down with the horrors of the patriarchy, for example. Great answer. Oh, thanks. (laughs) Um, Do you have any favorite horror directors? Yeah, I mean, John John Carpenter is a huge one that I've grown up like loving just about everything he does. Uh, Halloween, obviously, is a big deal for me. <clears throat> also, looking back, I mean, growing up, I was a huge fan of older films in general. So, like, think about, like, old Doris Day rom-coms, like, Send Me No Flowers, <laughs> Pillow Talk, etc. So, Hitchcock-era films are actually, like, a, a huge thing for me, too. But... A new and emerging director, uh, Remy Weeks, who did His House last year. I am like so stoked for truly everything he does after seeing His House. Definitely. Does he have anything coming out soon? I have to look. I only recently discovered this. We actually have an episode coming out on His House soon. And I'm like, Uh, what do you mean this was his directorial debut? That's outrageous. (laughs) Yeah, that was that was a very complex film. I think I watched that last year. Oh, yeah. I was so mad when I finally watched it. I was so mad that I didn't watch it sooner. Uh, Ryan, who's on my show, like watched it and she was texting me like, you got to get into it. You got to get into it. I mean, again, right. Bringing like different perspectives and personalities to the table. And I think his house was one of those really interesting opportunities where like growing up the child of a refugee. Right. Like and hearing my father's story and things like that. And then some of the experiences that I had in the Navy with some of the aquatic things that happened in that film. It was harrowing. So if he can do that his first time around, I'm down to watch everything he does. Sign me up. So like I said before, and like you said, you're one of the hosts of the podcast Hacker Slash, where you and your co-host dissect a horror movie and then talk about it and decide whether it's a hack, a total waste of time, or a slash totally killer. How did you meet your co-host and come up with the idea for the show? Ooh, okay. So uh, I, I met a lot of my actually all my co-hosts through work. So I met them all at different stages of my life. But at the point in 2017 where I was in life, it was actually me and a totally different group of people. So I was going through a lot. I, uh, I was diagnosed with PTSD in the Navy. And when I exited, I was just kind of throwing myself into work all the time. And I found that I found one job that I really loved and switched things up and wanted to go like manage a marketing department of a mortgage company. And I found that I was leading a team of creatives and not exercising my own creative muscles. And one of the things I think that always stood out to me was that I would always listen to podcasts of varying topics, like some technology, mostly uh, some horror, if I could find any. And I always struggled in life with audio production because I lost a lot of my hearing in the Navy. So I, I can't really perceive certain tones. I don't know how anybody can listen to uh, when they're mixing audio and just like hear the differences in EQ. Cause I'm like, Oh no, 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 I can't do it. I can't decipher it. So I was at this point where I wanted to challenge myself creatively, find a way to overcome something that had held me back for a long time. And then I was listening to more and more horror podcasts. And I realized that none of them were anywhere even close to the kind of person I am. Right. All I could find, to be honest it was a lot of older white dudes who were like just reminisced about 80s horror, right? And I think that's a lot different now. I think if you were to start looking for broadcast now, you wouldn't find nearly such an overwhelming dosage. But I wanted to do something that was going to be different. I wanted to show that, yeah, horror is for everyone. And it's even for, you know, a, a lesbian who's Puerto Rican and Cuban from Miami, Florida, youngest of five kids, right? Uh, and then, you know, her two, uh, two, her two friends from the Midwest, from Iowa. And how do those different perspectives, uh, one grew up in a very religious household, one didn't grow up in that kind of environment at all. How do all these different perspectives come together to see a movie? <clears throat> so that was really like the start of the journey. I wanted to really explore what horror means to each of us and not just like, yo, that movie was dope, but why? But what did it make you feel? Or are you the kind of person that doesn't really feel much of anything, right? So we went through some evolutions over the show. Everybody who is on here now started around 2018, I believe. Yeah, we started in 2018. Uh, most recently, we joined, uh, we added Paris. So I lived in Virginia at the time where I met everybody and we started recording locally. We were having a great time. And then in 2019, I moved down to Florida and I met Paris. 
So he joined in 2020, around April. It was like right as the pandemic was starting. And he actually just only now recently met another member of the show in person. It's wild. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's this really cool intersectionality, right? I mean, <clears throat> it's this really cool moment of like actually horror bringing people together because I've been like kind of the glue that brings everyone together. But now just to see all my friends sitting across, across the table and none of them really knew or understood each other before I brought them together. So it's really cool to see that and see them bond over horror movies, even when I'm not around or part of the conversation. It's absolutely an amazing feeling. Yeah, I, I feel like horror has exposed me to so many different types of people because my main group of horror friends, I just met for the first time in person in June and we all started playing horror movie trivia in April, 2020 during the pandemic. That's amazing. So we met, we met through the Facebook group for another horror podcast. that's no longer recording. Um, so, and then we just started like a Facebook, a Facebook messenger chat and it's still going. So it's fun, but like they live in the South, uh, they live in Tennessee and Maryland and like they have kids, some of them. And it's just, it was, I was like, parents are horror fans too. That's so weird. My parents are in horror fans. Oh my gosh. It's so <laughs> wild. Actually, it's so interesting to even think about that because I was talking about our October lineup when I was planning it with my co-host Alexis and my mom, you know, moved back in to help take care of her. She was listening in. She was like, oh, I've seen that. I'm like, what do you mean you've seen that? And then I forgot that she used to watch these movies with us. She brought in a whole stack of my old DVDs from before I moved. And I was like, how do you, what do you mean we have Wolf's Creek back stuck in here? What do you mean I have every Nightmare on Elm Street movie? I've been renting this thing for years whenever I want to watch it. Outrageous. Where did you all go when you met up together in person? Um, so three of my friends, they live within, you know, 45 minutes to two hours of uh, Nashville, so we all met up in Nashville and the one who lives in Maryland was driving through Nashville on a road trip with his family. So I flew, I flew in on my way to Austin. So that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was, wow, how cool. It was fun. Yeah. We went to a Beetlejuice themed pop-up bar. So. A pop-up bar? Yeah. Beetlejuice themed? Every yeah. time someone wears black <laughs> and white striped pants at work, I'm like, yo, I love those pants. And I can't have the heart to tell them it's Beetlejuice because they just happen to be wearing it. And I'm like... I can't have this moment. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what are some of your favorite episodes that you recorded of Hacker Slash? Ooh, okay. So I think there are some big ones, right? So I think the 2018 Halloween was one of my favorites. It's something we're actually redoing this year because half of the team that was on that wasn't, it is no longer on the show. So we're doing it for our October lineup this year, but that one was my favorite because it was just this excitement, this like, this is the biggest release that we're going to cover this year. We watched the movie in theaters and the first available showing went home, recorded, I stay up all night editing it. And it was just a lot of energy and excitement. But I think the other couple episodes, I think they're my favorite are the ones that we've disagreed the most on. So Sleepaway Camp 2. I think that movie's pure trash. Paris fell in love with it. And the whole episode was us like tearing apart this movie and Paris vehemently defending it. Right. And it's that disparity of when one of us hates it and the other loves it. And it's just the balance that, that brings. I think that tends to be probably the most fun. That's where we get the most chuckles. And then I think uh, Candyman was a really, really fun one, not because of a it's a fun story. But again, it was the excitement of how we viewed it. It was the quality of the movie itself. And it was all of us just pouring out our hearts over it. And it was just like this shared trauma of the ending of that movie. And it's just, it was a powerful experience. Nice. Um, but so besides Halloween 2018, which that's very exciting that you're redoing it. Are there any movies that you wish you could do, do over your episodes on? The Perfection. Absolutely. The Perfection. I haven't seen that one. I listened to another podcast talk about it and I'm like, this sounds batshit crazy. The movie is wild. If you did that, did that podcast spoil it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so see, like, I know, oh. I know what happens. Oh man. I'm so sad for you because <laughs> the experiencing that in person is so yeah. wild. That episode, you know, for, for the, the folks who had been on the show previously, we've been going through a lot of growing pains, right? Like their heart rate wasn't really in it. 
And we we're on the cusp of them just exiting the show. And the last episode they recorded was episode 52. And it was the perfection. And I held on to that episode, editing it for so long, because it was just such a head to head. You know, I think myself grow, speaking uh, from a place of like someone who has experienced trauma and then someone else who's just shitting on the movie and thinks a lot of these uh, women loving women interactions are inaccurate. I'm like, bro, what do you mean? How can you say that? You're not a woman who loves women, women, right? Like, that's just outrageous. So that's one that I think uh, I'd absolutely love to redo with my current team, because I think the thoughtfulness that you get there, I think the humor that you can infuse there. And I think being able to see people experience that movie for the first time is just such a cool time. Mm. The movie's heavy, though. It is a heavy weight on your heart. Oh, uh, can you tell us what movies you're doing in October or do you want to keep that secret? Yeah, I can. Let me just pull it up. All right. So October is an absolute batshit crazy time at Hacker Slash because we spend months preparing for it. Now, typically we release one episode per week. And in October every year, we do something a little bit special. We do a birthday special where it's like a tabletop RPG game where we just like, yeah, it's almost like a horror style D&D. Last year we did it for the first time and everyone now understands the intention. So hopefully the next years will be better. But this year, our episodes are going to be The Conjuring, this movie Trick from 2019, that's on Hulu. We have Fear Street Part 2, 1978. We have Halloween Kills and Halloween. And we have Malignant. And then we have Hatchet. In addition to that, we are doing something called The Co-Host Clash, where basically Alexis and I get to pick our lineup every three months. And we're going through random draws to make sure there's no like inherent bias. And we're just like handpicking our favorite movies. Uh, we also look at like upcoming events, upcoming important dates, et cetera. But this year, what we've done is asked Paris, Mac and Ryan to pick four movies. And each week they're going to go head to head. And the listeners on social media are going to vote for which one wins. And then we're going to record it. And I'm going to quickly edit it. And that's going to release every week as well. So those... Four episodes are just a total mystery. We have no idea what's going to happen. Oh, that's so cool. Uh, well, this episode's going to come out in the beginning of October, so everyone can, you know, vote for the remaining weeks. The co-host clash. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Your October sounds exhausting. I'm exhausted putting out one episode a week. So. Oh, it's been a, it's been a time. We've been basically recording two episodes. We usually record on Sundays. Now we've been recording Sundays and Wednesdays every week since August in preparation so we don't fall behind and we can all still enjoy a break every once in a while. And then this week coming up, we had to take a pause for some things happening at work. But next week, we're recording like three episodes, like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So it's going to be wild, but it's a labor of love. And I think one of the really cool things is we actually have a poster that we've commissioned an artist to make for all of our new patrons. I'm actually going to send you a picture of what it looks like. I just got it back today and I'm oh, cool. so stoked about it. Oh, that's so awesome. Um, well, I have to say that um, I love the show and I also love that you all loved Scream 3. That's when I first reach out reach out to you because I always listen to podcasts talk about Scream 3 and I'm like, this is good. They're going to hate it. And you guys all gave it a, sla- a slash. So I was so excited. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. game recognizes game. First off, <laughs> we are a group of people who appreciate quality, even if Paris tends to hack. I mean, did you like Scream 2? Yeah. I like Paris them all. Scream 2 somehow. I don't know. It was yeah. a weird thing. Uh, mm-hmm. But Scream 3 is great. Scream, Scream 3 was just the perfect blend of a good slasher with some good gore-ish uh, with a undercurrent of topical events and overthrowing the patriarchy that I love. And then uh, a little bit of camp and uh, a little bit of mystery and hijinks. And I think that was like the perfect blend to satisfy everybody in the group. Because sometimes if you go just even slightly too far in one direction, you lose somebody. But yeah. that was a universal slash. So good. Um, I just got one of my friends in Tennessee. He had found somebody on Instagram selling a VHS copy of Scream 3 for like a dollar. So he bought it and I just got it in the mail today from him. So it's amazing. Yeah. I was like, oh, it's mine now. I actually had all of the screen movies on VHS. And then like a decade ago, I was like, you can give those to Goodwill, mom. I don't, I don't need those. (laughs) (laughs) How generous you are. Actually, (laughs) one of my brother has a, what is this? He has like, I think a whole room that's just bookshelves of horror VHSs. 
Oh my goodness. Oh, it I is have... quite the impressive collection. Oh, I would love to see a photo of that. Mm-hmm. I'm actually gonna, uh, I'll see what, I'll see if I can send you a photo. I'm going to send you a picture of the poster. I'm going to send you a, a picture of that massive collection. And then I think I have just like a few DVDs, but then in the corner of my room, which you cannot see right now on the Zoom call, <laughs> I have like a whole like display of NECA horror figures and like oh. a Jason mask hanging up, a Michael Myers mask that scared nice. my dog out of my room for like six weeks. <laughs> Absolutely a big fans here. Awesome. What's your dog's name? Jin. Not like oh. the alcohol, but rather Jin Urso from Rogue One, Star Wars. Uh, okay, cool. Awesome. Yeah, she rebels. She doesn't listen to a damn thing I say. Oh. Uh course not no <laughs> i i have cats so they definitely don't listen oh yeah oh yeah. yeah some cats are cool some cats are like still affectionate oh yeah they're definitely affectionate when they want something from me oh okay so a cat with an agenda we love to see it yeah love to see it we love women that want things and you know know how to get what they want exactly what's your cat's name um I have a tuxedo cat named Playbill because I'm a big theater nerd as well. Amazing. Um, and she's in a tuxedo, so she's always theater ready. And um, and then I have a tabby named Gus because my neighbor was like, you should name him Gus. And I'm like, all right, that works. Gus feels good. <laughs> Gus is a good name. I love, yeah. a, I love a lady in a tuxedo too. That's fantastic. So if you're into theater, I have to know. You, you like musical movies? Uh, yeah, I do. Okay. Do you like Grease? It's it's okay. It's fine. Okay. Grease 2? I've actually never seen Grease 2. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. I suss out people in my life based on their feelings on Grease 2. And I recently only found someone who actually has seen it and not hated it. So there we go. Okay. Well, I will I will have to track that down and watch it. I'm of the appear, opinion that it's superior. So do with oh. that what you will. Nice. All right. Cool. I'll definitely track that down then. <laughs> So do you think that your experience in the Navy affects the way you view certain horror movies, especially those dealing with PTSD? Yeah, absolutely. I think the way that I experienced horror growing up was just like, it's very like from a distance. It's, it was very, mm, what's that thing lurking in the shadows in my room? And now watching horror, it's very much, what's this thing lurking in the shadows of my mind? And his house was a very traumatic movie to 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 explore that with and I loved it every step of the way I'm someone who like if I'm feeling sad then I want to listen to sad music because I find it cathartic and releasing so I think what it's done and that experience in the Navy has helped me view things from a far more human perspective and and less of a individual me what if this was happening to me right now perspective so I'll give you an example in his house, uh, some of the events that occur, uh, even apart from like the main character, there are a group of people who drown as they're trying to immigrate and they're, they're fleeing their country. And when I was in, in the Navy in 2010, I was aboard the USS Winston Churchill for an operation where we're trying to rescue or provide aid to a skiff of Ethiopian and uh, a skiff of refugees from of Ethiopian and Somali refugees. And as one of our rib boats grew near, uh, they all ran to one side of the boat and it capsized and 13 of them drowned. So my job in the Navy, I was a mass communication specialist. So broadcast journalism, print journalism, photojournalism, all that stuff. But beyond any of that, you're an historian and documentarian. So I had to photograph all of that. And while I'm not someone who did like combat camera or anything like that, being up and up close and personal with death in an unexpected way, it's, it's jarring. And I think it's definitely shaped the way that I view horror, uh, even like folks who took their own lives when they were on the ship and seeing the lengths that people go to to find release. It's, I don't know, it, it's a really, I think it's a really dark kind of space to navigate and try to like cope with and heal from. And I think horrors certainly helped me get through a lot of that. And I think one of the really interesting things is uh, Tom Savini uh, had a similar job when he was in, when he, when he served and all of his experience in the military shaped the way he does his makeup and his practical effects. And that's part of why he's so incredible. Not only was he like a practical technician beforehand, but what the horrors that he witnessed in Vietnam absolutely shaped and influenced the gore that he became even more famous for later in his career. So 
I think it's a, it certainly, it certainly has an impression. Oh, wow. That's so interesting. Thank you for sharing that. No, of course. Yeah. Um, what would you say is your, com- your comfort horror movie? Comfort horror movie. Okay. When you ask this, I'm thinking, what horror movie do I want to curl up with? Right. It's a rainy day and uh, maybe it's been a a rough couple of days and it would be either one of these three and two of them I've already mentioned, either Halloween 1978, Black Christmas 1974, or another movie from the 80s called He Knows You're Alone. Have you ever seen it? No. Well, it's Tom Hanks first movie, so that's fun. Wow. Kind of like Johnny Depp in The Nightmare on Elm Street, but it's basically about a guy who uh, is hunting down brides-to-be because he himself is is a spurned lover. And the movie just is, is him stalking this you know woman as she nears cl- closer and closer to her wedding. Looking back on it now, obviously, it's uh, definitely reeks of patriarchy and sexism. And there is a, a, the guy that I think you're supposed to root for is just like a toxic ex-boyfriend who's really just a nuisance and won't let this woman move on with her life. But... For some reason, I think it's the nostalgia I have of, you know, sitting in bed, curled up with my sisters, watching that movie when I was younger. It absolutely just soothed me. Oh, wow. That's interesting. I'll have to go look to see if it's streaming anywhere and check that out. Definitely check it out. It's so good. I mean, you can see how Tom Hanks, even in this like small bit role, was just his own caliber of actor in that movie. Oh, very cool. (laughs) An article came out last year that said that horror movie fans were handling lockdown better than non-horror movie fans. Why do you think that was the case? Yeah, I think that's an interesting thing. I think the default could be, oh, you're used to scary things and thinking about things. But I think a lot of it is actually just more so centered around resilience. So I'll give you an example. I, I told you that I was diagnosed with PTSD. One of the very first treatments that I went through as I was going through like the process of getting off of my ship, getting worked over to the Naval Hospital, and I had to go through something called prolonged exposure therapy. Have you ever heard of this? I have not. So it's where you have to talk about what happened. And then you have to keep talking about it and keep talking about it and keep talking about it. And you're essentially talking about it to the point where you no longer get physical triggers from it and you're kind of growing, your, making yourself numb to it. So that's an example, right? And I think that's what horror movies do to a very different scale in life. I think it doesn't certainly numb you from fear, doesn't numb you from pain, but I think it conditions you in a way to be a little bit more resilient to stressful situations. Like I found that, you know, watching all those horror movies when I was a kid, I'm not someone who screams now. I just don't. Like when I'm scared, I get I get silent, but I'm kind of like looking around and trying to figure out what the next step is. And like, I can feel the physiological react, like responses in my body. I can feel my heartbeat pacing or pick up its pace, but I don't scream and I don't lose my composure. And I think that's because of a lifetime of watching horror movies. So I think that's that's got to be something to do in there. This is an unprecedented situation. These are uh, un- unprecedented times, right? When we have a pandemic and we have so many factors that go into this and, you know, our ability or lack of ability to cope with it and, and move on from this and, and do what we have to do to move forward. But looking at that situation, I think those who have not conditioned themselves in particular ways would respond in ways that make them feel more stressed or maybe make them lose control, make them a little bit more irritable, et cetera. What do you think? Um, I think it's partially that. And I think a lot of horror fans are maybe more introverted than non-horror movie fans. And we're like, we don't have to go out. We just have to stay home and watch movies. Great. And there's no zombies coming for us. That's even better. Could be worse. Absolutely. (laughs) That is true. I am very much an introvert. A hundred percent. I I think I'm an ambivert. I think I'm a little bit of an introvert or a little bit of, of an extrovert. So. Yeah, I think that's one of the things where I, for sure, am an introvert who I can for I can force myself to be extroverted. And so one of my in one of my previous moments in my career, I had to present every single day on the hour uh, to large groups of people, and that was just like the showmanship that that comes with that. You have to be good at it, yeah. but it absolutely drains me. Just the other day at work, I had to 
do a similar thing, had to spear around people all day long. And I wanted to curl up in a ball at the end of the day. It just was not good for me. Yeah, I can definitely, definitely relate to that. (laughs) So when you don't have to watch anything for Hacker Slash, how do you decide what to watch when you're looking for a horror movie to watch just like after a long day? Yeah, so I actually find that so many people shoot me recommendations that I have a a list uh, that I'll often filter through. I actually had to figure out where it is. I wrote it down on like a piece of paper and uh, I haven't seen it in a couple of weeks, but (laughs) I'll go through that list. I have a few coworkers now at work who are really big into horror. So I, uh, I just recently went through a streak of watching some of the old, like the original mummy movie, et cetera. Um, So I think that that's where you should all start. I'll start with like a recommendation from someone. However, The other thing I do is I get into this weird phase where I hyper fixate on things. So I don't know what this says about my brain, but I was recently having to come up with like a team name for something. And I think I chose something silly like Chris and the Krakens. And then I got really fixed on like a Kraken, a Kraken. What is a Kraken? What what is a Kraken even? You know what I mean? Like watch, I want to watch documentaries about it. I want to see all these YouTube videos about it. And then I want to watch a horror movie about it. So I looked on Tubi and I tried to find any horror movie that I could about a Kraken. I found one. And did you ever watch Glee? Yeah, I watched the first couple of seasons. Okay. Corey Monteith, who played Finn Hudson, may he rest in peace. Yeah. He was in this movie. Huh. He's like some random dude in this movie. And the, the movie's awful, but it's a, it was a great, I need to like watch a movie to wind down and get ready for bed. So I'll do that. Like I'll hyper fix it on things and then just throw on Tubi and say like, yo, what's the worst movie I can watch that falls under this general umbrella? I found some gems. I watched... Um, the Curse of Humpty Dumpty a few days ago. Mm. What a time that was. <laughs> is Tubi your preferred streaming service? Oh, not at all. I think it's just where I turn for something random because I feel oh. like a lot of the stuff on Netflix I've seen or I've heard of, and it's like a lot of a lot of preconceived notions that go in there. But I find that Tubi is a really safe spot to either see something that I absolutely have seen or find a lot of stuff that wouldn't make it on other platforms. Ah, nice. I have to ask, do you, have you seen The Invitation on Netflix? Yes, I have. All right. Something I'm going to start asking everyone is, at what point would you have left that dinner? Uh, if you want my my honest opinion, I would have left that dinner when I hit the deer outside on my way to dinner. I wouldn't have gone. I mean, that's just a big inconvenience and it feels like a bad omen. <laughs> totally valid. <laughs> but honestly, like, I, I don't know, taking your new girlfriend to a dinner party at your ex's house, fresh from divorce in your old house, that reeks of, I don't know, I, I don't think I could get through it. I don't think I think maybe I could like get like the initial hello and just feel like mm, something suddenly came up. I got to go. What about you? What would have been the moment that you left? I also think that I would I would just not have gone. I would have thought it was too weird, but I think. um definitely after they watched the video of the person dying oh yeah yeah i'm like i gotta go but the whole i haven't watched it in a, in a while i would think i rewatched it like six months ago but i don't remember the exact paces but i remember every time i watch it i'm like oh i would have been gone then oh i definitely would have left right now why is anyone still there now yeah. the ending makes it seem like even if you had and gone, you would have been screwed anyway. But uh, I think it's, uh, I don't know, that movie was just, it was such an odd time. It was such like an odd thing to work through because you get through these phases and it's like, all right, I'm going to be just mysterious enough and weird enough to kind of keep you interested. But then it doesn't do anything with that energy. You know what I mean? It just keeps going and going and going until you suddenly get to the end. You're like, I could have done this like a while ago, man. Are there any horror movies that you won't watch or that you won't watch ever again? Yeah, there's uh there there's this thing where directors think it's just totally cool to be shocking and just you know deal with sexual assault and women in films, and I absolutely hate that. Uh, for example, I went to go see The Hills Have Eyes in theaters when I was a kid, like the remake, okay. and I avoided the original movie like the plague. I heard about Last House on the Left and the violence in that movie avoided it until I had to watch it for Hacker Slash. And then even looking at The Evil Dead, The Evil Dead was another one that I avoided for years because I was like, there's no point to this. What is this? And then I think someone told me, oh, it's not that bad. 
it's not that bad. I'm like, all right, cool. If everybody loves it and it's this iconic, then maybe I should give it a shot. And it was it was a time that movie was really interesting, and I'm, you know, really glad that they ended up remaking it later. But that mechanic and that moment in the movie served absolutely no purpose. So movies that I know to have that element of it, I don't care to watch. Uh, not unless you're going to do something respectful with that and talk a story about, you know, tell a story about heroism and recovery and uh, moving on from that kind of thing. But I just don't think it has any place. Now, a movie that I'll never watch again, the 2006 Black Christmas. I watched it once and hated it. Watched it twice and hated it. Watched it for the sake of watching it for the show. Still hated it. And I'm done. Never again. You've given it three tries. I've given it three tries. I didn't think I'd be convinced any other time. And I think obviously the 2007 uh, Halloween remake is another one where it's just the movies I love the most give me the biggest disappointments when they're remade by... uh, by anyone in there in the in the mid to early 2000s it was just a time where it's like you want that grittiness right it's like post 9-11 everybody's just really into like this gritty darkness and again i think it was an extended cut in the 2007 halloween where there's a rape scene in a prison or in his mental hospital in, in smith's uh, smith grove sanitarium it's unnecessary like why what is yeah. the shock value there it's really just pointing out the real horrors every day, except you're using it as a, as a mechanic in a horror movie. It doesn't, doesn't work well. Yeah, definitely. Um, I haven't actually seen the 2007 Halloween, um, but maybe I won't watch it now. I have seen The Last House on the Left, which is really hard. I haven't seen The Hills Have Eyes, though. <laughs> did you watch the, okay, did you watch the original or the remake of The Last House on the Left? I watched the remake, I believe. Yeah, I think the remake, from what I remember, and I could be getting this totally mixed up, I feel like it wasn't quite as bad as the original, and the original was not as bad as I expected it to be, but it's really hard. It's really, really, really hard, and I don't recommend that anybody watch it if you're particularly triggered by this kind of thing, right, and it's like emotional response, but it's 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 rough, and the Halloween remake, I mean, I think anything is worth a watch once. I don't know that that one really, really is. I have this really weird thing where, okay, how do you feel about like, do you feel like when you think about horror movies or an iconic movie, do you feel like there's an iconic quote associated with it that like it just stands out to you and you absolutely love it? I mean, well, with Scream, it's what your, what's your favorite scary movie? Absolutely. Right. So these things happen. Uh, Okay. For, uh, when a stranger calls from the seventies, right? Yeah. Have you checked the children? Have you checked the children? And she says, "What do you want?" He's like, "Your blood, all over me." And he said, "It's like in like a little bit of eroticism in there, and it's uncomfortable and yeah. chilling." In the remake, which I enjoyed, but the remake of When a Stranger Calls, she just said, "What do you want?" He's like, "Your blood, all over me." And it's just like the failed delivery. The two thousand seven Halloween has that. Uh, it's just. Malcolm McDowell just butchering lines from Dr. Loomis. And it's just so weird. And it's around the time that he was doing those sprint commercials, I think. And I just couldn't hear anything but hilarious coming from him. And it's like this character that isn't actually funny. You know what I mean? It was just a really weird dynamic. I think that element may be worth a watch for you. The scene that I was referencing earlier, I can't remember if it's in the original version or an extended cut of it. Maybe just don't watch the extended cut. Okay, I'll try to find it. Um, the only remake from the early 2000s that I've seen was Friday the 13th from 2009, which I actually kind of liked because I find yeah. the original very boring. Yeah, the original was a ripoff of Halloween and yeah. they absolutely admit that and that's okay, but it's it, the original wasn't a big fan of. I think having the mom be the killer is the best thing you could do with that. The 2009 Hall- uh, Friday the 13th, I really, really enjoyed actually. And then the 2003, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I also really, really enjoyed. But I also didn't like the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, so. Yeah, I also, I found the original Texas Chainsaw very boring. So, and I heard, I saw on Twitter today that somebody was like, oh, you should watch the remake. So that's on my list. Yeah, the, the remake, Jessica Biel, you got some emotional heartstrings in there. <laughs> it's, it's good. It feels gr- brutal. It feels gritty. It's gross in a lot of ways, honestly, but it's it's a good movie, I think, overall. The original Texas Chainsaw Massacre was boring and insufferable in a lot of ways. Yeah, and there's hardly any like blood or anything. In it's it just too. screaming and yeah. Franklin being annoying, which is 
sad for me. And I'm okay with there not being like blood, right? But when you're going to do all that and then not even make it worth it, no thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I concur with your not being able to handle assault in horror movies. And I think it's a part of why I like PG-13 horror movies a lot sometimes because they are they just rely on like creepy atmosphere and stuff. Like The Ring is PG-13, which I always forget. So and I others. absolutely love that. Yeah, I absolutely love that. Um, the ring was something that I couldn't get into as a kid. There's like this this couple years in 2004, 2005, and maybe a little bit of 2006, maybe, where I was in high school, like just getting into it, had my cell phone, was texting all the time, and I think I had a short attention span. And there's something about, you know, a death curse associated with the number of days that you have to figure something out that just doesn't do anything for me. And I remember just like distinctly looking at my phone to check movie times of another movie because I was like, I I don't want to, I don't want to be here. It was The Ring, uh, One Missed Call and White Noise. Like those three movies blur together for me. Yeah. I actually uh, rewatched White Noise recently. It wasn't very good, but Okay, that makes me feel better because then I thought, well, wasn't Michael Keaton in that? Wasn't there like a cool <laughs> premise to it? But I'm glad to know. I'm, I'm not going to waste my time going back to it. Yeah, no, don't. <laughs> <laughs> so back when we were all packing into movie theaters, did you ever have a noteworthy experience seeing a horror movie in theaters? I think the biggest one for me was genuinely Halloween 2018. And I think it's because it was the first Halloween movie that I ever saw without my family. And it was, I mean, Halloween is like, we're all big Michael Myers stands in this household. This is a Michael Myers house. You don't fuck around with anything else. Get Freddy out of here. Get Jason out of here. Jason is just misunderstood. He's barely even the villain, honestly. But Michael Myers is fucking evil incarnate. And when I watched, when I went to go watch that movie, it was so exciting, like watching it, not only for the podcast, but just as a lifelong Halloween fan, like Halloween is the movie that made me want to make movies. Halloween was a movie. The reason I even went to the Navy so I could get money to go to film school. Like that was the movie that started it all for me. And it was sitting into that in that movie, feeling the excitement from all these other Halloween fans around me. Alexis was sitting next to me. She's like, oh my God, did you see that? That's the thing. And I'm like, girl, you don't even know. Those little costumes, that's from Halloween too, 1981. You don't know. It's like all these little nuggets that are just baked into that movie. And it's like the bus from... Yeah, the bus from the, the later Halloween movies, the gas station that's from another Halloween movie. And just looking at all these references baked in, I think that was just this, this experience for me that made me feel the same way I felt watching Star Wars in theaters. Like this epic fantasy adventure where you just get chills as soon as the, the credits start rolling and you get the, the opening theme. In the horror perspective, it's 100% it was Halloween. And I am so stoked. I requested vacation for Halloween Kills forever ago. And I'm going to go watch the first available showing. And then I plan to watch it just about every hour. Um, <clears throat> plan to watch it several times as it's streaming on Peacock. I cannot wait. I am legitimately losing my mind. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to Halloween Kills too. Have you been watching any of the trailers? Okay, yes, but half no. So... I like, I like to let it wash over me for the hype, but I'm not looking for details. Okay. Like some things will stand out to you, like the Halloween three masks stand out to you. A lot of these little notes. And I just try, like, honestly, I don't watch it with my glasses on and I don't look too hard. I almost like want to let my eyes blur a little bit because I just want to feel the excitement of it and see Michael Myers on screen without really paying attention to what he's doing because I don't want to spoil it. But I can't just not look. I mean, it's Michael Myers. Lori. I feel like you and Todd from the Horror Virgin should debate whether or not Michael and Jason are the same person because he always argues he's like they're the same killer. Oh my god, no. Get that disrespect <laughs> out of his household. What? No. Sir, I don't know you, but that's not how this works. Michael is evil next door. Michael was a child who inexplicably murdered his sister. Jason was a misunderstood boy who drowned. Then teenagers started having sex all over his property. He's like, what are you doing out here, guys? Like, he was just being a wild man out on his own. 
Jason doesn't go to anybody. He gets, what, drug up from a lake? Truly, people are around when he wakes up. I think even in space, he woke up and was murdered. Uh, He murdered people when they captured him. He's a very responsive killer. Very, I mean, he's not proactive, right? He doesn't go out for the hunt. He, I think, trapped people uh, with bear traps. He's clearly out there catching game. He's like a big, burly dude. So you know he's eating bears and shit. That's not Jason. Jason's like the lovable, stay away from me because I know you can kill me, but if I stay away from Camp Crystal Lake, we're good. Michael Myers, sure, if you're not related to him, if you're not near Haddonfield, Illinois, or anywhere near his sister, okay, but Michael Myers is just fucking evil, and that's the beauty of Michael Myers because he could be anyone next door, right? You talked about like why I like slashers so much because Michael Myers was a little child from a it seemed like a well-to-do family totally fine inexplicably evil and it represents the darkness that's just in humanity versus a supernatural being you know what i mean so no absolutely totally different get that disrespect out of here i'm not standing for it sir all right well you've convinced me but um i have to admit i've only seen halloween h2o and halloween 2018 I have not seen any of the other sequels. I actually found Halloween 2 on DVD at a thrift store that I have now. So I'll watch that. Mm. I do want to see Halloween 3 because everyone hates it so much. I enjoy it. It's, I think, I think it's more like Halloween than people like to admit. Because there are certain characters in that movie that very much have Michael Myers energy. Absolutely, they do. Uh, Actually, the guy who plays Michael Myers, Dick Warlock, in Halloween 2... He plays a central character, not a central character, but he plays like a character that you interact with a lot in that movie. And Dean Cundy, same director, same cinematographer, right? Uh, so it has the essence of Halloween without being Michael Myers, and that's totally okay. So I, I think you should watch it. The one thing that gets me is Tom Atkins just sleeping with anybody. You know what I mean? It's like, this is unrealistic, sir. <laughs> All right. Well, I know, I know, obviously, what horror movie you're most looking forward to in the rest of 2021. Halloween Kills. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but what has been your favorite horror movie so far in 2021? Okay, if I can cheat and say it was his house because I watched it in 21, 2021, <laughs> even though it came out in 2020, it'd be his house. But aside from that, it's Candyman. And because it not only met my expectations of being like a quality film, but exceeded my expectations with doing things with Candyman that I didn't even realize I wanted. You know what I mean? Like it was just a surprise and delight while also being an incredibly harrowing human tale that explores how so many people in marginalized communities are made unwilling martyrs when their lives are prematurely extinguished, right? So that was a movie. I won't go into a lot of detail since it's still out in theaters. Maybe a lot of people haven't seen it, but absolutely amazing. I was 100% satisfied. Are there any horror movies that you love that people generally don't like, or do you hold any unpopular horror movie opinions? Okay, so let's talk about Black Christmas 2019. Oh, yay. So I had some feelings. I actually wrote this whole thing out called Black Christmas, I Gave You My Heart. And it, uh, it, it explores my love of the 1974 Black Christmas, my hate for the 2006 Black Christmas, and then the experience of waiting for it during the announcement, seeing the trailers, and then seeing the movie that I was ultimately faced with. And the thing about this is Black Christmas, at its core, is an inherently feminist tale. And not that it was generally trying to be, but that was kind of the point. It was effortless. You know, Jess happened to be pregnant and happened to want an abortion. And, you know, Olivia Hussey, And Bob Clark thought, okay, it just gives them something to do. It wasn't like a, oh, we got to do this because women lack representation, right? You had well-fleshed out, well-thought-out characters uh, who died not because of their actions, but because of consequence, because they happened to be in the house. So to see this turn that it took in 2006 was a really big disappointment, even though it got a lot of the brutality and the gore that a lot of people love. But the 2019 Black Christmas, ah, I, I watched the trailer. And I was like, what do you mean this isn't Billy? What do you mean there's an archer? What do you mean? Like, I feel like it it gave away a lot of the spoilers of like, okay, 
this isn't Black Christmas. And the longer the time went on, the happier I was it happened because I needed that. If I walked in cold turkey expecting uh, random phone calls, heavy breathing, et cetera, like I would have been really disappointed. But I think they did what they absolutely needed to do in marketing it, throwing it out there. This isn't this, this ain't your daddy's Black Christmas, right? This is a whole different thing. And this takes the energy of what does that feminist tale that happened in, that was on display in 1974 around the same time that in Canada, they were going to going through a case that was similar to like Roe v. Wade in the United States. What does it mean to be a woman in 2019? And to have lived through experiences like that, to have gone through like the, the roller coasters of healing from trauma and looking at the support systems that you have around you and sometimes the support systems that you lack I absolutely loved it. That movie, it's not for everyone, but the people that it's for, it's, I think, amazing core. And I think that movie gets a lot of shit because a lot of guys don't like it. And I think I think, I think a lot of women obviously don't like it either, but I think it's just, it's similar to Jennifer's Body. Jennifer's Body, feminist film, 2009, everybody shits on it. Because I think the horror, the horror community is viewed as predominantly male, straight white men. Right. And I mean, a lot of friends in horror, that's okay. But again, not every movie is for you. And then what happens, right? Post Me Too movement, we are so many decades later, and everybody's apologizing to Megan Fox and lauding Jennifer's body for the masterpiece that it is. So I think that movie is horribly misunderstood. I think a few years from now, I think a few months from now, people should be watching it and appreciating it in the moment. But I think a lot of people are going to be apologizing about Black Christmas as well. I hope so. I hope you're right. Cause I, I also love it. What did you love about it? I just loved that. It was basically coming off the tail of the me too movement and, you know, calling, calling out the patriarchy and trash men. Oh my gosh. Up in the frat house. Oh, it's it's on almost every winter playlist I have. Oh yeah. Oh God. Yeah. That, that made me really happy that I was never in Greek life in college. So Oh, absolutely not. I think uh, I, if that's like what sor- the frats and sororities are, then no thanks. But I think the idea that, that, I mean, that movie addresses toxic masculinity in a really beautiful way. And I think a lot of people reacted to that movie of not all men. And it's like, no, the, the movie itself points out not all men, right? Like you yeah. don't got to fucking say it, but <laughs> most men, look at the ratio here. Most men. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So l- let let us know on Twitter if you also love Black Christmas 2019, because you should. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> if you could remake one horror movie, which one would you remake? It'd absolutely be The Birds, and it absolutely have lesbians. <gasps> How? Where? Where do the lesbians come into play? <laughs> okay, hear me out. We recently talked about this on Hacker Slash. Uh, we have our main character, Tippi Hedren, who is what pursuing this random ass man uh, who like, wh- what is that term negging? Like a, yeah. when you're like a jerk to a woman and you think yeah. that's going to get her attention. Okay, whatever. Now from Hitchcock's world, this worked. So she pursues this man, but then she stumbles upon his ex-girlfriend and I'm sorry, I thought they had a lot of chemistry. And if that isn't the most lesbian culture thing I've ever seen, right? You pursue one one person and end up like running into their ex and then just like sleeping over and stuff. That feels right. And I want to see a movie that's not her pursuing this dude, but her running into this woman and then the birds happen. And maybe, maybe she, maybe Annie gets a different fate, but uh, that'd absolutely be it. Oh, I am here for that one. Yeah, the fact that we got The Conjuring and we had all that crazy bird stuff that happened in that movie and we didn't get a James Wan version of the birds. I mean, I think it leaves the door wide open for it to happen. Yes, definitely. But maybe not in like the way that he made Malignant because Malignant was a little bit too camp for me. Okay, I'm actually watching it like tomorrow. So I'll let you know. All right. Well, I most people, well, I don't know most, but like at least half people half of people who watch it love it so i don't i won't say anything else i don't want to color your 
Oh no, I've heard that it's it. extremely polarizing. So no worries. You're not the <laughs> you're not the first person I've heard about this from. Our patrons actually just voted. It was tied between Malignant and the Final Girls from 2015, which I was really excited about. And then like one person, one more person voted for Malignant and put it mm. over the edge. So hopefully mm. I'll get to see the Final Girls at some point. Yeah. I think that was the one um with about the mother daughter. Is that yep. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, I yeah, saw the I trailer. Watched. I haven't seen it but I, I yeah. saw the trailer. Yeah, it, it was a cute movie. Oh, um, so. How, um, how lovely. Yeah, it was, it was you know, darling. Um, I, I don't know, maybe malign- Malignant is definitely like maybe a scarier movie than, than Final Girls. Final Girls wasn't scary at all, but mm. Malignant had more gore in it, so. I'm sure Alexis will be happy. Yeah. <laughs> so my final question is, if you had to spend quarantine with one horror villain, who would it be? Ooh, okay. So several approaches you can take to this. Uh, is there any more guidance to that? Or is that just the question and interpret it as you will? Interpret it as you will. Okay. So here's the thing, right? Uh, if you're looking for someone to take care of you during quarantine and you can um, tolerate the the trapping together. I think Annie Wilkes from Misery. It sounds like she makes some great soup. Obviously, I think you'd be insane to do that. I was really trying to think strategy here. I think I consider myself to be someone who thrived during quarantine. I was perfectly fine working at home and like devoting all my hours to either like working on work work or working on podcast work and I didn't have to talk to anybody else and I was like FaceTiming when I got lonely and that was it I feel like Herbert West from Reanimator would be someone who'd like if I were in quarantine with him we'd be doing our own shit trying to just make cool shit happen right I get that vibe uh, I think from an intro introvert kind of way I think Norman Bates would be fine I feel like Norman Bates is not going to be attracted to me so I don't have to worry about him murdering me in a shower I don't think his mother's going to be threatened by me either. I love my mother. I think it would be fine. But uh, I think the actual answer here is Leslie Vernon from Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. He would be hilarious to be quarantined with. Absolutely. Make a whole documentary. Like You have a year to learn about how slashers work. I mean, I feel like that's a brilliant move. How about you? uh, Oh, God. Um, uh, Brandon Christensen, who who wrote and directed Superhost on Shutter, he recently said he came on and he was like, "I would choose the Superhost for my movie because as long as you don't piss her off, she's gonna make you pancakes and be a great host." Okay, so. kind of like some Annie Wilkes energy, except she's not gonna hobble yeah. you. I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I'll I will say her. I don't remember oh. that character's name, but she she was lovely. So good choice. When, except when she was trying to kill you. Mm, okay yeah as long as you're just like neat and tidy and keep to yourself and eat the pancakes right yeah well thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule with your own recording schedule and your work schedule um i really appreciate you being here this was a lot of fun oh thank you i appreciate you having me yeah do you want to tell everyone where they can find you and hacker slash online yeah absolutely so you can find us in any major podcast app our our name is just hack or slash not hack and slash but rather hack or slash or you can find us at hackerslash.live and on social media everywhere at hackerslash well let me know what you think of malignant after you watch it oh i will be in touch ma'am don't you worry i've heard the the levels of camp that are in this movie and uh I'm, i'm sure i'll be reaching out it is very camp (laughs) (laughs) all right have a good one thanks you too that's it for this week's episode of who's there i hope you enjoyed my conversation with chris rojas and thanks again to chris for coming on i'll leave links to our socials and hacker slash in the show notes you can follow us on twitter at who's there pod we're on instagram at who's there podcast and if you have any questions comments concerns horror movie recommendations or you'd like to be a guest shoot us an email at hello at who's there podcast.com until next time stay scary and get vaccinated